Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Honestly, you don't want to be taking generic legal advice from a YouTube channel or podcast in any event. On with the show. Infringement? A lawyer looks at Iron Maiden v. Ion Maiden. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're covering another video game-oriented lawsuit, this time between heavy metal band Iron Maiden and 3D Realms, the makers of a game that they have called Ion Maiden. And as you might expect, this lawsuit relates to potential trademark infringement. Iron Maiden has claimed that 3D Realms has infringed on their trademark with the Ion Maiden name. And we're going to discuss that on this episode, including in an article that I gave quotes to for Game Daily Biz, uh, which you've heard me reference in virtual legality before, uh, and is a very good website if you are interested in the t- kinds of topics that we discuss on virtual legality, mainly the intersection between business and law, and video games. And in this article by Mike Futter, it is titled, Iron Maiden Files $2 Million Lawsuit Against 3D Realms Over Iron Maiden Video Game. The metal band has accused the Duke Nukem developer of creating confusion through Ion Maiden's name and logo. 3D Realms early access shooter Ion Maiden has landed the developer in hot water for being a bit too tongue-in-cheek. The metal band Iron Maiden has filed a $2 million lawsuit in United States District Court, Central District of California. The group is still performing and selling merchandise and has accused 3D Realms of using the band's popularity to boost attention and sales of its game. Now, one thing I want to walk back just a second here is we're going to look at the actual lawsuit, which Game Daily Biz does a great job of actually linking in the article to talk about what is the primary material that we're going to discuss. And in that lawsuit, you'll see a number of claims that Iron Maiden makes. Uh, Actually, I think it's Iron Maiden Holdings, the name of their IP holding company, makes against 3D Realms. And $2 million does pop up. The $2 million relates only specifically to one claim. They actually ask for a bunch of other stuff. So in its strongest possible form, this lawsuit could potentially actually be for more than $2 million. But we're also going to discuss why the $2 million number is basically plucked out of thin air because it's the maximum that the particular statute that they're making the claim under allows for. So they pulled $2 million because it says no more than $2 million, and then, hey, you you pick $2 million and you put it in your lawsuit. Continuing with the article, Iron Maiden's suit is in part based on its own foray into video games with 2015's Legacy of the Beast, a turn-based RPG. Additionally, the band asserts that Shelley Harrison, who was also the main character in 3D Realms' Bombshell, is a play on Iron Maiden founder and songwriter Steve Harris. Now, it's important there to note that this main character existed in a different capacity because that does go to the suggestion that this wasn't designed, Iron Maiden wasn't designed solely to uh, steal the intellectual property or dilute the intellectual property or otherwise kind of carry forth on the tailwinds of the intellectual property of Iron Maiden. But that's getting ahead of ourselves just a little bit. The group also claims that Ion Maiden's logo, using what it calls a steel-cut font, And one of the icons in the game is similar enough to Iron Maiden iconography and will cause confusion. A look at the logos reveals that while the font might be similarly stylized, they are most definitely not the same. 
and I'm going to comment on that in this very article in just a second. But I did want to pull up the various the various logos here. So we can see here on the screen if you're watching this on video. Otherwise, if you're listening to this on the podcast, I apologize. It's very hard to do visual examples for you. Uh, but you can see here on the logo, it's blue. It's kind of got a stylized white line through it. It's got a bomb in between Ion and Maiden. Uh, but most specifically, one of the things that really jumps out is if you look at the O's, they're kind of on the diagonal. They have diagonal uh, cuts out of the corners of them. And one of the things that's most prominent about the way Iron Maiden makes its name, and we're going to pull up their shop right now just to kind of show you, is that they use triangles for their O's. They use triangles for really the circles that are inside uh, the various letters that form the Iron Maiden name. And those triangles are very distinctive. As a matter of fact, if you look here on the shop page that I've pulled up, we've got a, a hat, a cap, that says Trooper. And the way they've made Trooper is that one O is an upward-facing triangle and one O is a downward-facing triangle. The triangle and the red coloring and the white outlines are very clearly part of the Iron Maiden uh, trademark, the trade dress, the way the actual word looks as they use it. So when we talk about whether or not there's a substantial likelihood of confusion, we're really mostly talking about the words Ion Maiden and Iron Maiden, even though we're going to see in the lawsuit that they claim that this logo, the Ion Maiden logo, which is blue, doesn't use triangular O's, doesn't really look all that much the same as the Iron Maiden logo in terms of how the, the font is used, is uh, infringing on their trademark because they are claiming that it is the same. Uh, then we have some quotes from some really excellent attorneys here. The lawyers have attempted to draft the logo and font into the question, but if you actually look at the two, I don't as an outside observer see infringement on trade dress. Attorney Richard Hogue of the Hogue Law Firm told Game Daily, different coloration, different font. Take a look at the O's in particular. It just doesn't rise to that level for me, but reasonable minds could conceivably differ. And that's really where we're going to wind up landing on this entire video. One of the things that Mike at Game Daily asked me to opine on was whether or not I thought this was a winning case. And I don't think that it made it into this article necessarily. And I don't want to read the whole thing because it deserves your click. And I'm going to link it in the description of this video. But I said, hey, look, trademark law is very nebulous. It's very much subject to what a judge or jury is thinking in respective very fact-based uh, fact based evidence patterns. So you don't get something that says, oh yeah, that's clearly infringement or that's not clearly infringement if it's at all in the gray area. And so I generally don't opine as to whether or not one of these things is going to work out in a particular way. And looking at this, I do think it's a close enough question that it probably doesn't get kicked out of court immediately. And once you have that issue, then you've got potential costs, you've got potential legal fees. And that's ultimately going to wind up being a problem for 3D realms. Uh, and usually the way these things work, and I think this is referenced in the article, is you get a cease and desist letter. Iron Maiden sends something that says, hey, we don't really like that you've called your thing Ion Maiden. Please stop that. Uh, if they're really angry, they say, please stop that and send us a check for something. Please stop that and let's agree to license the name to you so that you can use it in this fashion. And it looks to me like that did happen. There's reference to a cease and desist that was ignored as part of this fact pattern in this article. Uh, and then 3D Realms has its own lawyers look at it and say, no, we think we're going to win that. We're not so concerned about it. So let's ignore that letter. Let's not deal with Iron Maiden right now. And if Iron Maiden wants to make a big deal out of it, they can sue us. And maybe you send a response letter that says, hey, if you're so interested, sue us. And then Iron Maiden takes the step that they did this week and says, okay, fine, we'll sue you. Uh, and it very much depends on whether or not the judge thinks that this is close enough that it's going to be a win for Iron Maiden. But 
ultimately most of these things wind up being settled, wind up being handled privately because the cost of litigation can get so high and because neither Iron Maiden nor 3D Realms is really in a position to say definitively, yes, we are most definitely going to win this thing. Uh, That's really the honest-to-God truth, so hopefully their legal counsel is giving them that kind of advice because you want to get percentages, you want to get a chance of victory so that you can understand what your various cost concerns are, but neither side should be sitting back and saying, we got this one in the bag because that's just not the way these things work. So again, this is the article. I gave a number of quotes to it. I think Mike did a really good job putting this together. I highly recommend checking it out. That's the baseline. We're going to get to the lawsuit, which he's linked in this article, uh, and the actual complaint that's made by Iron Maiden. We're going to walk through it like we have done with other lawsuits. But before we did that, we've talked about it a little bit on this channel. I wanted to talk about what patents are, what trademarks are, what copyrights are, what intellectual property is, so that we have an understanding of what's actually being discussed here. Then I wanted to talk about what the USPTO says about trademark infringement and how that looks. And then we'll actually get into what is being claimed by Iron Maiden. I think that's the best way to really kind of dive into what's happening here if you're not overly familiar with how intellectual property works here. So I've pulled up the USPTO website, the United States Patent and Trademark Office website, and they have a very helpful page here, and they used to have a video, it looks like it's offline now, that talks about the difference between the three main types of intellectual property, trademark, patent, and copyright. And what we're talking about with the Iron Maiden, Ion Maiden, 3D Realms lawsuit is trademark. And that's defined as follows. A trademark is a word, phrase, symbol, and or design that identifies and distinguishes the source of the goods of one party from those of others. So let's break that down. The purpose of a trademark is to be able to stamp something on a good and say, you know, this came from us. You know when you see those triangular O's and that red logo that says Iron Maiden, you know that we licensed our name, that this is somehow coming from us. And so in respect of our downloadable game, Legacy the Beast, it says Iron Maiden at the top. You know it's coming from us. And when you look at Ion Maiden, maybe you think it's coming from us because Ion Maiden is close enough to Iron Maiden, and that's a potential problem for us. The USPTO goes on to say a trademark can last forever so long as you continue to use the mark in commerce to indicate the source of goods and services. Trademarks are generally linked to a specific type of thing, right? So when you get a trademark for your t-shirt, that doesn't mean you have a trademark to sell typewriters. If you get a trademark for your music, like Iron Maiden does, that doesn't automatically get you a trademark to sell those t-shirts. They actually had to go and register it for different purposes, and they did do that. Uh, One of the things that comes up in that article is they're bringing this claim based on a trademark for the sale of video games, the sale for electronic uh, interactive entertainment. And the fact that they only filed that really uh, at the end of last year in advance of this uh, lawsuit, and I believe after Ion Maiden had already been made public, does present at least a small stumbling block to their claims. They'll definitely have a potential common law use of the trademark. And this goes on, this uh, this website goes on to talk about common law, which is different than formal registered trademark. You can have a certain right to your trademark just by using it in commerce, but it doesn't get you the same uh, lawsuit rights. It doesn't get you the same damage rights. And so you want to register before you bring a claim like the one that Iron Maiden did, which is why they registered at the end of last year. 
going back to 1999, going back to 2015 for their Legacy of the Beast game, and whether or not that fully gets accepted as part of their claim in the lawsuit is going to be something that the parties argue about. It hasn't even been uh, published uh, for opposition yet, I don't think, based on their USPTO uh, registration page. But that's trademarks. So when you think about trademarks, you're thinking about a word or phrase, a logo that's stamped on something to indicate where it comes from, and if somebody gets in the way of that, if it becomes confusing as to where something comes from because your mark is too close to another's mark, that's what infringement is. That's what it's going to come down to. Patents, which aren't at issue here, are about inventions. It's a limited duration property right relating to an invention. And a copyright is a protection for an original work of authorship. So usually when I talk to people about this, I say, let's talk about this. A trademark is the name iPhone. You, you trademark the name iPhone so that you know if you go out and you buy an iPhone, it's from Apple. We know what it is. We know where it came from. A patent is the protection you have on the design of the iPhone that you made. Whatever kind of bits and bobs, wires, the size of the screen, everything else that goes into what an iPhone is is patented, and that is protected under a patent. A copyright is a work of authorship. So it's protecting a little bit, probably, <laughs> depends on how Apple operates here, a little bit of the software that actually runs the iPhone. Definitely probably has a copyright in the documentation and the marketing materials that advertise the iPhone, things that are written, things that constitute a work of authorship. So in any one specific device, any one specific thing that's out there in the universe, you might have one, two, or all three sets of intellectual property protecting that device or item. But it's important to make the distinction because different laws apply to these different things. When we had our previous virtual legality videos and we talked about the DMCA, that's the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. That relates to copyrights, as you might suspect, and not to trademarks and patents. But the same kind of issues that arise from a trademark infringement suit and from potentially a patent infringement suit can kind of bleed into copyright and you can drag in other things. And so it's worthwhile to note that when you've got an infringement claim of any kind, there might be a situation in the near future where the party that's claiming a, a problem could bring in another intellectual property claim as well. Uh, and that hasn't happened here yet, but these things have a tendency to uh, get out of control if the litigation continues, maybe 3D Realms countersues. You just don't know what it's going to look like until you actually get a chance to see it. Going forward, there's another website on the USPTO site that talks about what it is to infringe on a trademark. We talked about this a little bit, but this is going to be important to keep in the back of your mind when we go over what Iron Maiden is claiming. It says, how do I know whether I'm infringing? To support a trademark infringement claim in court, a plaintiff must prove that it owns a valid mark, that it has priority, its rights in the marks are senior to the defendant's, and that the defendant's mark is likely to cause confusion in the minds of consumers about the source or sponsorship of the goods or services offered under the party's marks. So they have to show that that's registered or that they used it in common law terms, and you'll see they're combined when we look at the lawsuit. They have to show that their, their right to the mark is better than the defendant's that if 3D Realms had been using the Ion Maiden name since the 1960s, that might beat them because they were using it earlier and all these kinds of things. That's probably not an issue here necessarily, although it does go to the timing of the registration and things of that nature. But the main argument when we're talking about trademark infringement is does whatever the defendant is doing, in this case 3D Realms and Ion Maiden, is it likely to cause confusion in the minds of consumers about the source of the goods? Is it likely that someone looking at Ion Maiden could look at it and say, hey, 
I think Iron Maiden might be behind this project. Maybe yes, maybe no. That's one of the reasons that trademark infringement suits are so difficult to kind of quantify for someone is because this is a fact-based test. It's a balancing test about what some reasonable, amorphous, hypothetical person would think about the facts presented to the court. The next paragraph of this website pretty much explains that. It says, generally, the court will consider evidence addressing various factors to determine whether there is a likelihood of confusion among consumers. The key factors considered in most cases are the degree of similarity between the marks at issue and whether the party's goods and or services are sufficiently related that consumers are likely to assume mistakenly that they come from a common source. In other words, if Ion Maiden was a band and was selling something that was fully within Iron Maiden's wheelhouse, music, CDs, Spotify tracks, whatever it is, then it's going to be more likely that the court is going to come out and say, well, that's infringing because you're right in the same area, you're selling the same things, and people could assume that you're related. When it's kind of tangential like this, when Iron Maiden isn't known for Legacy of the Beast, isn't known for its online downloadable game, and this is something different, this is a game on Steam, this is a first-person shooter, the actual games aren't confusing, uh, and there isn't that kind of uh, existence within Iron Maiden's wheelhouse, if you will, then the court is going to lean towards not finding infringement. That's only one part of the entire test, which is why you get these kinds of ambiguities. Other factors that courts typically considered include how and where the party's goods and or services are advertised, marketed, and sold. So if they're in the same places, if you're putting your Ion Maiden billboard right next to an Iron Maiden billboard, if you're going to the same festivals or concerts or whatever it might be, that's a problem if you're 3D Realms. The purchasing conditions, how it looks uh, in respect of the actual transaction, how you've marketed it, how uh, you've sold the product or good in question. The range of prospective purchasers of the goods or services. Are you hitting the same audience? Whether there is any evidence of actual confusion, and that's going to come up in the lawsuit, caused by the allegedly infringing mark. As you can imagine, if you can actually have some proof that some people out there somewhere think that this is from Iron Maiden uh, when they're looking at Ion Maiden, that's helpful for the court to determine, hey, this actually can confuse people. That's not the be-all and end-all determination, by the way, because some people are not, uh, let's say, to the reasonable person standard, and we can't hold everybody to essentially the dumbest among us. And so the court has to determine whether it's a reasonable confusion when they're looking at these kinds of things, which is why it's not a slam dunk, even if you can show actual confusion. The defendant's intent in adopting its mark. Does 3D Realms have a number of emails out there between its CEO and its developers that say, haha, we're going to steal the Iron Maiden goodwill. So let's call it Ion Maiden and go from there. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the strength of the plaintiff's mark. Is this something that's regularly used in commerce? Is it something that's kind of weak that hasn't been used in commerce in a while? Certainly, the Legacy of the Beast Iron Maiden mark is not as uh, well-known as Iron Maiden specifically acting with the, the music side of things. And so that's going to all go to the question of whether or not this is actually infringing. This is actually creating an element of confusion. The last thing you'll see here is they say it varies from case to case. This is a balancing test. This is a judgment-based test. I can say what my judgment is as we go through this lawsuit, which I will do, but that's not necessarily going to be the same as the judge's determination. Reasonable minds can differ on any and all of this, which is one of the reasons why litigation is so rarely seen in the United States is because there are these huge gray areas of wildly, wildly different results, different outcomes. Iron Maiden could lose this entirely and get zero. 3D Realms could lose this entirely and lose millions. 
And so when you have that, generally speaking, the people come together and say, I don't want to make this bet about what this guy in robes is going to think about this. So let's come up with a number that we can both kind of agree is somewhat close to what we would like to get out of this thing. Finally, it's kind of tangential to infringement, but, but similar in nature. It says, in addition to claiming a likelihood of confusion, a trademark owner may claim trademark dilution, asserting that it owns a famous mark and that the use of your mark, the mark of the infringer, diminishes the strength or value of the trademark owner's mark by blurring the mark's distinctiveness or tarnishing the mark's image by connecting it to something distasteful or objectionable, even if there is no likelihood of confusion. Uh, you see this kind of claim a lot in, uh, let's say, illicit adult films, uh, where you've got something that's famous, uh, and they use a pun, they use a series of names that are related to the famous thing, and they try to put it in uh, and use it in, in a way that the trademark holder finds objectionable. And you can see these claims. Uh, oftentimes, there are defenses to that, parody and satire and whatnot. But you can make the claim that essentially, even if you're not going to be confused by this, you're trading on my goodwill. You are spending and burning my goodwill. And so thus I should have a legal redress uh, against you. And that's really what dilution is. We're going to see dilution brought up here. But that's the framework for trademark law. And I wanted to go over it a little bit before we got into the meat and the details of the lawsuit, because I think it's useful to have that background. If you haven't gone to law school, if you haven't discussed intellectual property before or litigation before, I think those are useful to keep in the back of your mind because, frankly, this is not a terribly detailed complaint. This is not a very long document, and we can get through it rather quickly, uh, but it's very important to note exactly what it is that they're claiming and what a trademark actually is. So let's take a look at here. Uh, here. Iron Maiden Holdings Limited versus 3D Realms entertainment. Uh, this is an action for injunctive relief, which means that they want to have the thing taken down, and damages, which means they want money, uh, under the United States Trademark Act and California statutory law. Then they say that they have jurisdiction. Then they talk about uh, Iron Maiden a little bit. Uh, they say Iron Maiden is a world-famous band that formed in 1975. Uh, they've done a lot of concerts. They've won some Grammys, or they got nominated for some Grammys. Uh, they won some awards, uh, and they sell and license a huge variety of Iron Maiden merchandise, including, but not limited to, computer games, which they put up front and first because that's what they really want to talk about, clothing, beer, mugs, posters, watches, jewelry, belt buckles, key rings, goblets, flags, banners, coasters, patches, decals, playing cards, magnets, shoelaces, glow sticks, drumsticks, wristbands, skateboards, and candle holders. See, that's a fun list to do if you're a lawyer. Said, mer said merchandise is sold at Iron Maiden concerts and at retail stores around the world and through internet sites. More than $6 million worth of licensed Iron Maiden merchandise has been sold in just the last 12 months. So they're averaging multiple millions of dollars of sales even now. Then they say they sold, began selling computer games in 1999 and has provided computer games online since August 2015, which matches up with the dates that you'd see in the USPTO office. You can look at that. You can look at the USPTO. You can look up any trademark you want and see what it is registered for, when it was registered, uh, and what time they are trying to apply the first use in commerce to. Uh, they said that their first video game was named Ed Hunter in 1999. Uh, they also released video games named Flight 666 in 2009 and Final Frontier in 2010. In 2015, they released their Legacy of the Beast video game and that their music has appeared in a number of games. Grand Theft Auto Vice City, Guitar Hero for Xbox, etc., etc., etc. Then they describe the Iron Maiden mark. You see here a couple pictures, which are always the fun part of talking about trade dress or patent lawsuits. You get a lot of pictures. 
Uh, and they talk about the fact that this is registered for clothing, registered for entertainment services, including live musical performances. They have this mark, and it looks like this. That's their claim. It does appear to be a strong mark. There's no reason to believe that there's any kind of deficiencies in that mark based solely on what we can see from the outside looking in. But if there are deficiencies, probably 3D Realms will find them and bring them up in their lawsuit defense. Then they talk about 3D Realms and Ion Maiden. It says, Defendant is selling a video game called Ion Maiden. A picture relating to defendant's video is attached here to as Exhibit B. The exhibits actually aren't a part of the lawsuit document, so unfortunately we don't get to take a look at those, but we can assume that they're putting pictures, as they describe them, of Ion Maiden to talk about how it looks like Iron Maiden. It says defendant Ion Maiden's name is nearly identical to the Iron Maiden trademark in appearance, sound, and overall commercial impression. Defendant also uses the Ion Maiden name to sell merchandise, including shirts, and mouse pads. They put up some pictures of some shirts and mouse pads as well. Let's take a step back here. So the claim is that it's nearly identical to Iron Maiden in appearance, sound, and overall commercial impression. There's one thing to note here, and it is noted in the Game Daily Biz article, and that is that Iron Maiden, as you might be familiar with, is not a term that is unique solely to the 1975 metal band. Iron Maiden was, in fact, uh, the reference to, I believe, a medieval torture device, uh, and that's probably what made it attractive for the name of the band in the first place back in the 70s. And so when we're talking about the term Iron Maiden, it's not protected uh, as to anything that isn't registered. It's a, it's a term that is generic and can be used for anything uh, in particular. That's one of the things that will be weighed when a judge were to evaluate this position is the fact that Iron Maiden is not in and of itself uh, something that is unique to the band. Uh, when you talk about uniqueness, when you talk about things that are very specific uh, to a, a trademark holder, sometimes unique words can get a little bit more protection because it's uh, essentially impossible to accidentally kind of sound like or uh, trade on the goodwill of something that is entirely unique. That's when you see kind of tech companies start up and they've got a four in the middle of their name or they've got some other kind of weird uh, combination of words that didn't exist in the English language before now. Some of that is for intellectual property protection. Some of that is because, frankly, there are a lot of companies out there and it's a little bit hard to find a unique name uh, without kind of getting into uh, some uh, de facto jury rigging of the English language. But when you're talking about something like Iron Maiden, it's important to note that it's not solely a 1970s metal band, and that's going to speak to some of this. I also think that they you know, go a little bit too far by saying it's identical in appearance, sound, and overall commercial impression. As we talked about, I don't think it's altogether that close in the way it actually looks. Obviously, Ion Maiden and Iron Maiden are very close, primarily because the way Iron and Ion is read is very close. Sometimes you can have a letter be changed and come up with a completely different sound for the word and make kind of a fun uh, pun that isn't stepping on the toes here. But I will agree that the sound here is very close, as you can probably hear in this video or podcast. It's somewhat difficult to say Iron Maiden or Ion Maiden, depending on what it is that you're reading. So I will grant them that. It is close in terms of how it sounds. Decades after Iron Maiden first used the Iron Maiden trademark, Defendant began using the Ion, Ion Maiden name, see I did it right there, without authorization in an effort to confuse consumers into believing defendants' products and services are somehow affiliated with or proved by Iron Maiden. So they immediately accuse 3D Realms of bad acts. Hey, they're only using Ion Maiden as a name because they want to trade on Iron Maiden's goodwill, and they want people to think of Iron Maiden when they think of Ion Maiden. Defendants' misappropriation and use of a virtually identical imitation of the Iron Maiden trademark creates a likelihood of confusion among consumers. 
Remember that trademark infringement page that we were reading on the USPTO site? That's one of the main arguments that is necessary to win a trademark infringement claim. They have to say that it creates a likelihood of confusion among consumers. Customers who view defendant's video game and merchandise are likely to believe that Iron Maiden is somehow affiliated with defendant. The results of searches for Iron Maiden merchandise, t-shirts, posters, and mouse pads relate to Iron Maiden. Exhibit D. Presumably that exhibit shows Google searches or Bing searches or what have you, where somebody is looking for Ion Maiden and Iron Maiden pops up. That's, again, some of the function of a search engine, right? If you've used Google before, if you've used Bing, one of the things it says is, did you mean Iron Maiden? Did you forget an R? Because we're trying to help you because you don't always type correctly. And so that's one of the things that comes into play when we're talking about likelihood of confusion is people really do use search engines this way. They really do uh, get confused because they type in one thing and get something else. I know there are specific things that are spelled specific ways where I will go halfway down the search page before I realize that Google quote unquote corrected something for me and has resulted in a number of results that I didn't want. And so this is part of the argument and it is interesting as we would expect, if you type in Iron Maiden, it's not as famous as Iron Maiden. And so Google is probably going to take an extra step to try to help you, try to fix that for you. Uh, but that's an interesting argument, and I think it's one that does have to be taken into account. Without even examining the content of the Iron Maiden video game, confusion is undeniable because of the virtually identical use of the iconic Iron Maiden mark for video games, a product that Iron Maiden has been selling for nearly 20 years, and shirts, a product that Iron Maiden has been selling for nearly 40 years. Standing alone, those facts establish likelihood of confusion, but there is even more evidence of likelihood of confusion. That evidence includes the fact that defendant has exhibited its intent to trade off on the Iron Maiden mark by adopting Shelley Harrison as the name of its main character, which is an attempt to copy the name of Steve Harris, an Iron Maiden founder and primary songwriter. We talked about the fact that Shelley Harrison apparently appeared in a 3D Realms game before this one, so I find this to be a particularly weak claim. Adopting a similar steel-cut font for its Iron Maiden name, knowing that Iron Maiden also uses a steel-cut font for its iconic Iron Maiden mark. Interesting there that they try to say that they are similar font families without saying that they're the same font. Again, we've talked about this, but I don't think it's particularly similar in look. Creating a video game that has the same look and feel as the Iron Maiden video game Legacy of the Beast. Now, we have to take a look at that because Legacy of the Beast looks nothing like... Ion Maiden. So first, let's take a look at Ion Maiden real quickly here. Uh, this is the Ion Maiden Steam page. It's early access. It's a 3D Realms first-person shooter. It looks about like you would expect a 3D Realms first-person shooter to look. It looks like a slightly updated kind of Duke Nukem 3D style game uh, with 2D enemies fighting in a uh, first-person uh, Quake-esque old-school first-person environment. And now let's take a look at uh, Legacy of the Beast, because I think we will find uh, it is significantly different. Uh, let's uh, let's see if we can pull up uh, that to uh, to show you. This is an uh, image from Legacy of the Beast. This is Iron Maiden's uh, page for Legacy of the Beast. You see here that it's essentially a cartoonish uh, role-playing game. It says travel through time and space. It uses some kind of, uh, I would say, World of Warcraft, very mobile-oriented uh, graphical design elements, uh, and it doesn't look anything like uh, Ion Maiden at all. It's a, it's a role-playing game. Um, and so 
one of the things you see in lawsuits is you want to present your strongest case, right? You want to put your best foot forward. Sometimes lawyers go a little far when they're doing this. Uh, and the complaint stage, you can probably get away with it because you, people know that you're trying to put as strong an argument as you can out there. Uh, but when you say something like uh, the Ion Maiden game uh, is has the same look and feel as the Iron Maiden video game Legacy of the Beast, if anybody were to look at that, if the judge actually looks at this, actually evaluates it, if an arbitrator looked at this, you'd say, yeah, come on. There's nobody that's going to confuse Legacy of the Beast with Ion Maiden. That's just out of your mind. And so I probably wouldn't make this kind of claim in a, a lawsuit complaint if I were drafting it. And again, I'm not a litigator, so I'm not in the regular habit of drafting complaints, but I do read them a lot and I do uh, evaluate them for my clients. And so I do think that it's probably an argument that isn't worth making in this context, but different lawyers can differ on this and it probably doesn't hurt them in the long run. They're just trying to put up everything they possibly can up on the wall to see what sticks. Then they say choosing to use its Ion Maiden yellow bomb emoji in its Ion Maiden video game and merchandise, which is graphically similar to Iron Maiden's Eddie character who appears in all of Iron Maiden's video games and virtually all of Iron Maiden's compact disc covers, t-shirts, and other merchandise. That appears to me to be that they are trying to declare that a skull logo is a mark that they hold and that to use a skull logo is violative of that. Again, I don't want to hold this against them too much, but they are trying to throw everything they can at the wall and a number of these things don't appear to stick as I look at them from afar. I do think Ion Maiden and Iron Maiden is your best argument, that they sound alike, that it's one letter different. The rest of this stuff is trying to inform that, is trying to establish that 3D Realms is a bad actor. You want the judge, you want the court to look at 3D Realms and say, you guys are trying to steal Iron Maiden's goodwill. Some of this might work. It depends on who's listening to it. I think a lot of this is really speculative and pretty much reaching too far uh, over, the, over the threshold of what I would consider good faith. But uh, reasonable minds can differ on that. There have been numerous instances of actual confusion with Iron Maiden fans believing that defendants' Ion Maiden products are related to Iron Maiden. Actual confusion has occurred in online articles and comments about the Ion Maiden video game, including Iron Maiden fans, commenting that they were misled into believing that the Ion Maiden game was an Iron Maiden game, clicking on an Ion Maiden online thread thinking that the thread was related to Iron Maiden, reading an article about the Ion Maiden video game, waiting for an explained connection to Iron Maiden, wondering the whole time while reading an article about the Ion Maiden video game how they, Defendant 3D Realms, got the license to use the Ion Maiden name from Iron Maiden, exp expressing genuine excitement for an Iron Maiden video game and commenting that all that's missing is an Iron Maiden soundtrack and that the Iron Maiden song Can I Play With Madness would fit right in. Interestingly enough, there doesn't appear to be an exhibit that they added to the complaint for these particular forum threads, it sounds like, for the most part. And one wonders whether or not that's because they aren't nearly as uh, specific as they are described here. Certainly, when we're talking about forum goers, there's a lot of, uh, let's say, silly commentary out there. And you don't necessarily want to make millions of dollar judgments uh, based on the silliest of commentators posting on a steam post or something along those lines when the law actually requires a reasonable uh, confusion and not just a silly confusion. But it is interesting that they didn't include that in the exhibit. Certainly some of this goes to the fact that if you can demonstrate a reasonable person getting confused by these things, then you've got a stronger claim than if that didn't exist in showing that a reasonable person can be confused by these things. 
Uh, in addition, a review of the Iron Maiden game stated that Iron Maiden's name references Brit Rocker Iron Maiden. So they've got reviews. They've got other people talking about how it is related, how it is evocative of that. And it certainly is. Ion Maiden sounds like Iron Maiden. It's probably picked for that purpose. Whether it's picked for that purpose because Ion Maiden sounds like the medieval torture device Iron Maiden or because it's trading on the goodwill of a 1970s rock band is up for the judge to decide, is up for the law to determine. And I do think that is an interesting question that isn't obvious looking at this entirety of this lawsuit. Um, they go in further to say defendant's infringement is incredibly blatant. Defendant's use of the mark that is a virtual imitation is clearly intentional and calculated to deceive. Defendant has no consent to use the Iron Maiden note. Uh, the Iron Maiden trademark is of sufficient fame uh, that defendant's use of the Ion Maiden name would result in prospective and actual purchasers of defendant's goods and services to presume a connection with Iron Maiden. So basically, they're saying what we described in the article when we talked about it with Game Daily Biz, but they're saying it in a lot more words because lawyers get paid by the hour, don't forget. And so they say the logo's the same, the character name's the same, uh, the look and feel of the games are the same, which is, you know, wow. Uh, the bomb logo is the same all these other things to say you are bad actors you're trying to trade on our goodwill and you owe us legal recompense so now we go into the actual claims uh, and we see that they've claimed federal trademark infringement despite iron maiden's world-renowned prior rights and the iron maiden trademark set forth in the registrations attaches exhibit a defendant has without the consent of iron maiden used and continues to use in commerce the iron maiden name which is a virtually exact imitation of the iron maiden trademark Defendant's actions constitute willful infringement, means it was deliberate. It wasn't an accidental infringement because everybody knows Iron Maiden and they couldn't have made that infringement accidentally. They use a virtually exact copy of the Iron Maiden trademark uh, in an intent to cause confusion and mistake. As a direct and proximate result of 3D Realms' conduct, Iron Maiden has suffered irreparable harm to the valuable Iron Maiden trademark and its reputation in the industry. Unless defendant is restrained from further infringement, Iron Maiden will continue to be irreparably harmed. Interestingly enough, they don't actually tie what's happening here, a potential infringement with damage to the Iron Maiden name. Uh, and so I think that could be a potential question as well. They do have to actually show that they were damaged in some way to get those damage claims. There are statutory awards solely from the infringement, but they're actually claiming damages here. So that's an interesting part of this. If they were to get those damages, they'd have to show how they were damaged. Iron Maiden has no adequate remedy at law, and as a direct and proximate result of defendant's conduct, Iron Maiden has suffered damages and other damages in an amount to be proved at trial. So that's all going to say, hey, there was an infringement here. That's why it was important that they at least tried to register their copyright and their trademark for the video games that they have made. Uh, but those are still pending as far as I know, and they were certainly made in the shadow of this potential lawsuit. The second count is a false designation of origin or sponsorship, false advertising and trademark. Defendant has knowingly used and continues to use in commerce the Ion Maiden name uh, to promote and sell services that it renders. Defendant has used a virtually exact duplicate of the Iron Maiden trademark uh, to confuse and mislead. This is essentially the same kind of claim because the Trademark Act has a number of different provisions that kind of go to all of these things. And so... Whereas the USPTO website can talk about it pretty succinctly, the actual law has all of these different versions of infringement, so you see them brought up as separate counts in a lawsuit like this one. 
Then we see dilution, which we talked about as part of that USPTO website. By virtue of Iron Maiden's long and continuous use of the Iron Maiden trademark in interstate commerce, its mark has become and continues to be famous within the meaning of the law. As such, this mark is eligible for protection against dilution. Defendant's use of a virtually exact copy of the Iron Maiden trademark in connection with the advertising, promotion, and sale of its computer game and merchandise has threatened to cause and has caused dilution of the distinctive quality of Iron Maiden's famous Iron Maiden trademark by lessening its capacity to identify Iron Maiden's goods in violation of the law. And that, truthfully, is probably one of their strongest claims, that Iron Maiden is close enough to Iron Maiden that even if it isn't fully confusing for somebody that it is diluting Iron Maiden's ability to stamp things on its own, that it wants to stamp to show that Iron Maiden is the source of things. And so maybe the law should give it some kind of redress for this dilution. And that's a claim that's even more amorphous than really the confusion argument. And it really does depend on how people feel about the Iron Maiden mark, how they feel about the Ion Maiden mark, whether or not they're actually impacting each other, and whether this dilution is actually occurring, which is perhaps even more difficult to show than the confusion element in and of itself. Common law trademark and trade name infringement. Uh, This talks about the fact that they have used their marks without registration in various ways in California and elsewhere for a long time. And so they should get common law protection, not just trademark act protection. Uh, And to the extent that they win on the kind of trademark claims that there actually is infringement here, they probably win on all of them. This is pretty much an all or nothing type thing. You have to show the basic elements of infringement. And then for the most part, they're going to follow along. There could be some questions about timing. There could be some questions about use in commerce, that the common law trademark was available because they actually were using it. If the registration fails, if there's some kind of deficiency in the registration, if the judge says, hey, you tried to file this right before and after you knew about Ion Maiden, so that creates a disparity there. There could be a different disposition of these two kinds of claims, but for the most part, they're the same kinds of claims outside of kind of the supremacy arguments and the timing arguments. So they go together. Uh, Count five, unfair competition. This is basically talking about California law, that if you are trading on the goodwill of another, it's de facto unfair under that state's laws and that you should hold that to be a problem for 3D realms as well. When you look at a lawsuit, you get a lot of these separate counts that basically dovetail with each other. We talked about this when we looked at the lawsuit between Tifu and FaZe Clan. But one of the things that happens there is if you've got a non-competition provision in California, then generally speaking, you bundle that with an unfair competition provision in California because if you're violating public policy in California, you're pretty much already de facto unfair because unfair isn't terribly well defined. And so you can claim unfairness for anything that is already violative of the law. This is a similar kind of concept. Hey, if you're infringing a trademark, if you're doing something that's illegal or bad, then we can also bring up an unfair competition claim under California law. And so we bundle it into the lawsuit. It's the same kind of notion. Their prayers for relief. So they want a ruling that they violated uh, USC 1114A, which is the primary uh, trademark infringement item. They want uh, a ruling for 1125A and 1125C, uh, which is for damages. It's the remedies related to those uh, infringement claims. They want a ruling that the uh, 3D Realms has committed common law trademark infringement that they've violated California Business and Professional Code. That's the unfair uh, unfair trade that we just saw. Uh, they want compensatory damages in an amount as yet to be determined by the foregoing acts and trebling such damages, which is the legal way of saying tripling. I don't know why that happened exactly, but trebling is the way that we say tripling in the law, uh, that they want the damages tripled uh, under the... Uh, Trademark Act, because that's what you get for essentially infringement of a statutory trademark is you get extra damages so that you make sure that you're really penalized if you do that. And then you see the $2 million number, 
that I wanted to point out here. This is the $2 million that we've seen attached to this uh, story in various press outlets, including Game Daily Biz. It says, an order requiring defendant to pay Iron Maiden, uh, Iron Maiden statutory damages of $2 million in accordance with 1117C. So I thought it would be useful to take a look at that because I think this is a particularly bad claim. Uh, but it is a number that they can put in, and numbers are always attractive. And they're certainly attractive to the press that wants to put up exactly what this thing is potentially worse, but worth. But as you can see here, this is just one of a list of things they want to have happen. They want to have 3D Realms enjoined from selling Ion Maiden. They want to get triple damages on a willful infringement. They want to get all these things. Uh, but what does this actual $2 million number relate to? And we can pull up here a 1117C, in, and we can see that this is for statutory damages for use of counterfeit marks in a case involving the use of a counterfeit mark as defined elsewhere which we're going to get to in just a second in connection with the sale offering for sale or distribution of goods or services the plaintiff may elect at any time before final judgment is rendered to recover instead of actual damages an award of statutory damages for any use in connection with the sale of the goods or services in the amount of not more than $2 million per mark per type of goods sold if the court finds the use of the counterfeit mark was willful, if it was an intentionally used counterfeit mark. Uh, and let's take a look at uh, the definition of counterfeit mark for just a second here, uh, because I think that is useful in and of itself. Uh, and it says, as used in this subsection, this is 1116D for those of you following at home, as used in this subsection, the term counterfeit mark means a counterfeit of a mark that is registered on the principal register for such goods or services sold uh, and that is in use whether or not the person against whom relief is sought knew such mark was so registered um, and that's not terribly helpful right you, you went over to the cross-reference you're looking up the law and you say well all you basically said was a counterfeit mark is a mark that is counterfeit this sometimes happens when you're looking at cross-references this is one of the reasons that legal research is so fun uh, but you can also look at the ways these things are interpreted by the actual government, the way that they are actually looking at these statutes and how they operate. So now we're at a website from the United States Department of Justice that talks about what a counterfeit mark is, how it's been used in practice, what they are looking for. And they say, uh, in order to show that a trademark used by a defendant was a counterfeit mark, the government must prove the following. The mark is spurious. A mark is spurious if it is not genuine or authentic. So it has to be false. The mark was used in connection with selling goods and services, obviously. The mark is identical with or substantially indistinguishable from the genuine trademark. So this is really pointed at what we think of when we think of counterfeit marks. This is pointed at somebody that is actually selling a t-shirt that says Iron Maiden, but maybe puts a hook on the end of the triangular O, or maybe makes it a slightly different shade of red. The government goes on to say, this element assures that not every case of trademark infringement amounts to trademark counterfeiting. The indistinguishable from standard is to be interpreted on a case-by-case -case basis. The phrase is intended to prevent a counterfeiter from escaping liability by modifying a protected trademark in trivial ways, changing that color red, changing a white outline to a gray outline, doing something slightly different. But it's also designed to exclude arguable cases of trademark infringement involving trademarks, which are merely reminiscent of protected trademarks. In this case, in particular, you've got a trademark with a different word. You've got a trademark with a different color, with a different font, making a different game. 
And so if there's anything that we could take away from this, I don't think this is a particularly good case for counterfeiting the Iron Maiden mark. You can absolutely claim infringement, and reasonable minds can differ on whether an infringement is occurring here. But is this counterfeiting the Iron Maiden mark? I think not. So if the one thing I feel pretty comfortable saying is very likely to get kicked out and is just there to throw things on a wall to see if they stick, it's this question of whether or not the mark is actually counterfeit. Um, and that's really what I wanted to say on that because I think it is interesting. I think it is uh, pertinent to what's what's happening here it, that, that they have thrown all of these things at the wall. The $2 million number gets picked out, gets published by the various journalistic outlets, which I think is absolutely within their right to do, but it's probably the weakest claim that's actually in the entirety of the lawsuit. And you don't know that until you actually read it, or if you listen, or you watch virtual legality. So thank you for joining me on this trip. Continuing on with the claims here, the, the requests for remedy, they want to cancel the domain name Ion Maiden and transfer ownership of the registration to Iron Maiden, a ruling that the defendant has no right or authority to issue uh, or grant license or display the Iron Maiden trademark or confusingly similar marks. They want to get it eye on Maiden. A ruling that the defendant's violation of Iron Maiden's rights has been willful. Again, we see how willful is used in the statute, but it's necessary to establish a $2 million cap for counterfeit use. It's necessary to establish some of the better damages provisions that they could get under the statute. A ruling that this case is exceptional in the sense of 15 U.S.C. 1117A. Now, that's an interesting that's an interesting use of the term, right? Why would they care about whether or not their case is deemed exceptional? That doesn't make a lot of sense. That's a weird word, too. Oh, wait. 1117A. What, what happens when it's exceptional? The court in exceptional cases may award reasonable attorney fees to the prevailing party. Ah, I see what you did there, Mr. Litigator. You want the court to claim that it's exceptional because you'd really like to get those attorney fees uh, for making this complaint and for hopefully winning the case for your client. Makes sense, uh, but it is interesting because you look at that and you say, what does exceptional mean? It means the attorneys get paid by the defendant. Uh, and then they say a bunch of other stuff that you get at the end of a traditional complaint that says, you know, please give us these rights. Please help us enjoin. Please get us these damages uh, and signed by the attorney and submitted a couple days ago. Uh, and that's the overall case between Iron Maiden and 3D Realms and their game Ion Maiden. So going back to the Game Daily Biz article, I think the main takeaway from all this is it's an interesting case. Ion Maiden certainly is evocative of Iron Maiden. Whether or not that's evocative to you of just the phrase or the 1970s band is an open question and one that is pertinent uh, to this case. Uh, and unfortunately, trademark infringement cases are ones where it's very difficult uh, to actually come up with who's going to win. I think you've heard me talk about it on Easy Allies and Help Us Out Hogue and in other episodes of Virtual Legality. But one of the reasons... Uh, fair use and fan games and everything else that we've talked about in the intellectual property sphere is as problematic as it is, is because litigation is so expensive, you don't necessarily have a lot of case law out there because these things get settled all the time. And because they are so fact-based, because everything is really a function of how any given person will see all of the evidence laid out and whether or not somebody actually could get confused by the source of these two products and services, that means that a lawyer sitting in his room with his client has to say, yeah, I think we've got a strong case or yeah, I think we've got a problem, but no, I don't know exactly how it will go. So maybe we hedge our bets and maybe we settle this thing. And that's why almost everybody does. Uh, and so I think it's, I think it's interesting. 
but I think that ultimately these are the kinds of things that make it a problem for independent developers, smaller developers to put things out there uh, because the, the law, the intellectual property law, the trademark act, we, the copyright act, we've seen it with the DMCA, uh, patents to a lesser extent, they can be used as a cudgel. They can be used as a weapon to essentially send cease and desist out and request licensing fees for things that aren't necessarily related to you. I don't know whether Iron Maiden will win this case. I suspect strongly it will wind up being settled. I think 3D Realms tried to call their bluff. They wouldn't wind up suing about this, and Iron Maiden decided to be litigious and sue on this because they thought they could get at least uh, some kind of better settlement than they would from just walking away and allowing this to happen. Uh, but is it okay? Is it, uh, is it a good thing for the world? I think that's an open question. I think Ion Maiden is pretty clearly distinct from Iron Maiden as a product. I don't really see in the logo or in the way that it has been sold any kind of relationship to Iron Maiden outside of the letter R. Uh, but certain folks, if they do have those exhibits in forum posts, certainly search results for a search for Ion Maiden probably are resulting in certain questions about whether Iron Maiden is related to the product. I think a reasonable mind could probably settle them pretty quickly and say, eh, probably not. Uh, we don't see a similar kind of logo. We don't see any reference to their stuff. And the fact that Iron Maiden's music isn't in the game, I referenced it in the Game Daily Biz article, I think is actually a useful data point for 3D Realms to say, hey, if anybody's confused by this, isn't it odd that there's no Iron Maiden music in here? Isn't it odd that Iron Maiden isn't referenced at all? That a reasonable person would look at this and say, yeah, it's evocative of the name Iron Maiden, but clearly Iron Maiden wasn't related because they have their own game that looks completely different. And because they didn't put any music in this, they didn't relate to it at all, and it's not being sold on their website and things of that nature. So I think it could go either way. I think in all likelihood it'll go the way where we don't ever hear about it again until some kind of one-paragraph article says, oh, and they settled that. Uh, but, hey, if Iron Maiden wants to make it litigious enough, if they don't want to settle, if they want to make an example of 3D Realms, you could have this go far enough where 3D Realms ultimately decides, hey, let's just change the name from Ion Maiden to whatever, uh, and maybe Iron Maiden will go away and be happy with that. It's all ultimately a question of leverage, like so many other questions in the law, and unfortunately that means that, like so many questions in the law, the lawyer winds up saying, it depends. If you've ever sat in front of a lawyer or in his office and asked a question of him, you'll get a lot of it depends because it really, really does. And that's why I think virtual legality is useful. I think these kinds of episodes are important, but ultimately... Who's going to win is up to one judge or potentially a jury deciding on exactly what they think of these two piles of evidence that are set forth in front of them. And that's been Virtual Legality for today. If you like this video, please do like. Please subscribe to this channel. We are talking about topics like this all the time. Uh, we talked about earlier this week uh, the question of whether or not uh, personalities from What's Good Games and uh, Kind of Funny Games, Greg Miller and Andrea Renee, should be hosting for publishers uh, at E3, in particular, Publisher Electronic Arts. We've talked about the loot box bill and the issues with the law that has been proposed by the senators in the United States. We launched a brand new ch uh, website series, a brand new show called Two Hogs Are Better Than One, where I talk about law and business with my brother, who's a game developer at Activision Studio High Moon Studios. Uh, and we talk about games and we talk about the business. And I think that's been a lot of fun. I highly recommend checking that out. And we do all this kind of stuff all the time. So if you like this, please like, please subscribe, please share it around. I think we're doing a lot of good work here on the Hoglaw YouTube channel. And I've got a bunch of new stuff coming out over the summer, which I think is going to be pretty exciting as well. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it on a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And please do review it on that podcast service. 
I will catch you on the very next Virtual Legality.